0: katrina and this is sydney and this is murder obsessed so today i'm going to talk about i mean okay i gotta do trigger warnings before this because hot damn this is a bad case um i remember um way back when i first got into kind of true crime and i was binging Bailey Farian, who is one of my personal heroes. Um, anyway, she did this um these guys. And I remember like thinking of like how horrible it was, but like reading back over it and like reading the case. Oh my god, it's it's awful.
1: So I'm just gonna um, I'm in love morning. with her, just by the way. Let me just like shoot that in there. Um I love Bailey Sarah so much that every day when I drop my kids off to school, I say, um, well, I say different things. I'm like, you know, we have to repeat. I'm smart. I'm strong. And I'm going to have a good day. And then I say, be good humans, make good choices. Yep. Like she literally is every
0: time. I do love her. I freaking love her. She is, she's such a great person. Anywho. Trigger warnings for sexual assault, torture, rape, and just absolutely the most brutal that a human being can be to another. It's just, we're doing, um, I'm doing today on the Toolbox Killers, okay, so you might have heard of them, so... I don't think
1: that I have, so this might be new for me. All
0: right, well, buckle up, Buttercup, because it's a freaking rough one. <laughs> the 1970s were a notorious time for serial killers in the Los Angeles area. There was a night soccer, freeway killer, hillside strangler, and a lot of others. Honestly, like, anyone who survived the 70s in Los Angeles, God has a purpose for you, because them serial killers were thick. But one of the most vile... And disgusting killers were perpetrated by the duo of Lawrence Bittaker and Roy Norris. Lawrence Bittaker had experienced trouble with the law since he was 12 years old. By the age of 18, he had dropped out of school and spent time in the California Youth Authority for shoplifting. Petty theft, auto auto theft, hit and run, and evading arrest. When he was released, he found that his adoptive parents had disowned him and moved to another state. Twelve years old in um
1: Judy. Wait 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 okay so he was adopted so mom and dad are out of the picture and his adoptive parents just left him. Yep. They
0: picked up and peaced out while he was in Judy. Nice. Which honestly, like that's awful. But it's also like like he's twelve and he's doing all of these things twelve. Okay. I teach twelve year olds. That is young to have shoplifting, petty theft, auto theft, hit and run, and evading arrest at 12.
1: Something had to be wrong because
0: that's a lot for a 12 year old to have on their plate already.
1: I agree, but as much as I hate to parent shame, I'm shaming. Yeah, there's something. Something wasn't good. I mean, I don't know anything about these people. Me neither. But, I mean, their decision like this would make me think that they were a couple that fostered children for a paycheck. Uh And we know, I'm not judging anybody, but we know there are a lot of those out there.
0: Yeah, there are. And it's very sad. And I see a lot of the negative consequences that has in my classroom. Anyway, so within days of being released, Bitteker was already in trouble with the law again. He was arrested for stealing a car and driving it across state lines. So one thing that I am a little confused on is if he was oh no um sorry I'm downstairs so y'all are Anson
1: gonna- is not about this just yeah, saying no. he is not yeah. does not agree to the terms and conditions tonight people so yeah prepared- um,
0: I took him we took him to um pet Mart, so I had to get another light bulb for a reptile and um. He likes to act like a wild animal in pet stores, and so I had him in the car, and he was screaming like a psycho
1: because
0: (laughs) I would not let him out of the car. Yeah, it was a great experience for all of us. You
1: know, my favorite thing is, is when you take them to the stores, and, like, I'm not a big um, whipper. We try everything else first. I'm not going to say that I don't ever smack my kids because, well, that would be a lie. Yeah, But, you know, I don't. It is a last resort it's the last resort for sure and like my favorite is when my kids act like hellions in a store and I'm like I go to say something to them, and they're like mom don't hit me no 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 and I'm like oh my gosh someone is going to take you from me yeah literally I cannot remember the last
0: time that I've smacked LJ yeah and either. if I move my hand too quick near him he's like jumping back and I'm like bro when was the last time that I hit you When was that time? Because I can't remember. And it literally, like, yeah. Yeah. And Anthony, like, he has that scream. (laughs) Like, you have just ripped his arm from the socket.
1: You know, it also kind of drives me a little mad. I mean, I'm not talking bad about this person. She's a childhood friend of ours, but she told me one day, she was like, why are you worried? You're like a nurse and your husband is a, a cop. And I'm like, do you not think nurses and cops hit their, like, I mean, not smack their kids, but like beat their kids. Like they're bad yeah. nurses, cops out there. Yeah, They can take my kid no matter what.
0: Yeah. Oh yeah. Like I'm not immune. I'm not immune. Like, I'm a I teacher, agree. and I'm like, dude, there's sometimes times that the things that these kids say and the things that these kids do, I'm like, I'm getting CPS called straight yeah. up. Yes, yeah, I agree. My children are spoiled beyond belief. They are not abused. In fact, I'm abused, okay? If we, if we want to get there, I'm abused. By I feel that. And in, in fact, Anson also called up and Threw a haymaker right upside my head. I'm walking, holding him. We're walking, all of a sudden, he just slaps me right upside the head. It caught my earring, and man, it hurt, and we're very off topic. So, with days of being released, Biddicker was already in trouble with the law again. He was arrested for stealing a car and driving it across state lines. In August 1959, he was sentenced to prison for, in 10 months, for 10 months, and then transferred to Springfield, Missouri, but released the following year. Bittaker developed a pattern, like we see in lots of these serial killers, lots of opportunities for them to be put away for a long time, and they just keep getting released. Over the next 14 years, he was arrested at least six times for offenses ranging from parole violation, theft, leaving the scene of an accident, and burglary. During his incarceration, he was put through several psychological tests, and he was diagnosed as being borderline psychotic, a highly manipulative character, and having considerable, considerable concealed hostility. He also was found to have a high IQ of 138. Further examinations showed that he was resistant to acknowledging his responsibilities. Bitteker confided in his psychiatrist that his criminal activities gave him a sense of self-importance. He was prescribed antipsychotic medications. Finally, in 1974, Bittaker was caught stealing a steak from a supermarket. When the clerk, store clerk followed him into the parking lot to confront him, Bittaker stabbed him in the chest, just missing his heart. First off, I shall never, like, if I work at a store and you steal something, I am not chasing you down. I'll take your picture and post it on Facebook later.
1: Well, I mean, honestly, unless it was, like, locally, a, a store owned by me, like, you're not stealing money from me you're stealing money from the company if it's yeah. my job to report it then yeah but i'm not no
0: yeah but not that not that biddicker was correct in stabbing him because he that was obviously like right
1: negative.
0: um yeah, yeah yeah but like guys don't don't confront death people out in the parking lot because you're going to get stabbed um but Bittaker ran but he was subdued by two other supermarket employees thankfully the clerk arrived and Bittaker was convicted of assault with a deadly weapon, and he was sent to California Men's Colony in San Luis, Obispo. Now let's meet our other nasty, disgusting piece of scum, Roy Lewis Norris. He lived part of his childhood with his birth parents, but occasionally was passed around to various foster homes throughout Colorado, um, where he was a victim of sexual abuse by a Hispanic family he was living When he was 16, he made sexual references to a female relative. When he was punished for this, he stole his father's car, drove into the Rocky Mountains, and attempted suicide by injecting air into his arteries. He was caught by police. He was caught. wait. Wait, sorry, go ahead.
1: He was sexually assaulted by a family member and then No, he they decided
0: for some reason, um, it says he lived with his birth parents, but also there was large parts of his childhood that he was in foster homes. So I believe that he was taken away from the home. And in one of those foster homes, um, he supposedly was sexually abused. But then um back With his birth parents, he made some type of sexual reference to a family member and was punished for it. And so his reaction to being punished was to steal a car and try to kill himself. He was caught by police as a runaway, returned home. And as he was returned home, his parents said, hey, we're getting divorced. They said they were only married because of um, Roy and his sister, but they didn't even want their children anyway. At 17, Norris dropped out of school and joined the U.S. Navy. At 21, he was sent to Vietnam. While there, he learned to become an electrician, started using heroin and marijuana. In November 1969, Roy Norris was attempted for rape and a, was arrested for rape and attempted rape when he was forced when he forced his way into a woman's car. He didn't spend much time behind bars, and three months later he tried to break into a woman's home. The Navy psychologist diagnosed Roy with severe schizoid personality, and he was given an administrative discharge from the Navy, psychological problems. In May 1970, at the San Diego State University campus, Norris stalked a female student, attacked her, and struck her in the head with a rock. He pounded her head into the sidewalk while he kneed her in the back charged with assault and sentenced to five years at At Atisadero State Hospital. He was diagnosed as mentally disordered sex offender. After five years, authorities determined that he was no, no further danger to others and released to the public. He literally has one, um, two... Two actual charges for rape and attempted rape, um, assault, and has a mentally disordered diagnosed as mentally disordered sex offender. And after five years, five, he was determined to be no further danger to others.
1: I don't understand that because like I want to come from a place of understanding. Like I'm never. I'm never making it okay but you know there are people out there who have issues with sex they just do whether it's what you know what I'm saying like whatever Yep. and like I feel like people like that need treatment like that is a mental disorder there's something wrong but how do you say that this person like they have something wrong with them and obviously they have something bad wrong because they've attempted and you know went through with raping an individual and now they're they're okay now yeah are they medicated how do you know that they're okay like what what gets you to that point exactly so yeah so while
0: in prison Bideker had saved Norris from attack by other inmates oh wait sorry I'm I skipped um he was released it only took him three months to prove that um he was a further danger to others, and he raped a woman in Renondo Beach. Norris was sentenced to California Men's Colony in San Luis Obstipado, where he met Loris Bitteker. While in prison, Bitteker had saved Norris from attacks by other inmates a few times, and they'd become friends. As they grew to know one another, they realized that they had a common interest, mostly involving sexual violence towards women. The two discussed how they loved the sight of frightened young women. Bittaker, until this point, had not committed any sexual offenses, but had expressed an interest to Norris and stated if he ever did commit such a crime, he would kill her. He said he would not leave a witness to the crime. During their time behind bars, their friendship evolved, as did their plots for, per- for perversion. They discussed at length how upon their release they would fulfill their fantasies and rape and murder young girls one for each age between 13 and 19 years old. So Bitteker was released in October of 1978 and he was actually a pretty skilled machinist and was earning $4,000 a month. Okay, 1978, $4,000 a month, that was right. some good freaking money. Like, he yeah. was making good money. hmm Um, especially because he was a convicted felon who had just been out of prison. Like, he really had a nice setup. He was living in a motel um, and was very popular with local teenagers. Um, he made sure that they all knew that he, was, he always had pot and beer available. Okay. Norris was released three months later in January and moved in with his mother in Redondo Beach. Redondo Beach. He started working as an electrician in Compton, but it wasn't long until he got a letter from Bittaker. They met in February and planned their mayhem. The first order of business was to buy a van. Okay, so, like, all of us have heard the term serial killer van. The creeper van. Yeah. So, this is kind of, like, a possibility of where that came from. Because they purchased a 1977 GMC cargo van in February of 1979 that had no side windows and a large sliding door. Okay, just like the cliche serial killer van, and apparently, they nicknamed their killing machine Murder Mac for three Mur- months. Mac is in MAC, or okay, Mac. Big Mac, that yeah, that's Big Mac, yeah, the chubby oh. girl. <laughs> For three months, the couple cruised up and down Pacific Coast Highway from Redondo Beach to Santa Monica. Perfect Southern California weather and beach communities met lots of young girls on their way to beaches. And during this time, they would stop. There was lots of young girls. Um, They would stop and talk to girls, offer them pot, offer them rides, take them to parties, have some beer, take some Polaroids. Um, But it was all just practice. It was all practicing, um, getting their routine down, working on how to get girls into their van voluntarily. So once they were confident that they could do this, they built a bed in the back of the van. Beneath the bed, they stored a cooler, and it had um, soda and beer to help lure the, the teenagers in, a toolkit full of torture items, and clothes the change into after theirs was soaked in blood. So now they had to find a location, um, somewhere that was secure, somewhere that was private, that they could do what they wanted to do without being afraid of getting caught. So just beyond the San Gabriel Mountains, they found an old fire room. They broke the lock on the gate, and they put their own lock on it. So now they were set. They were ready to go. June 24, 1979, Cindy Schaefer was just a 16-year-old when her grandmother dropped her off at St. Andrew's Church in Redondo Beach for a fellowship meeting. Cindy only stayed 20 minutes and then decided to walk home. On her walk home, Bitteker and Norris pulled up to her and asked if she needed a ride. No thanks. They tried again and offered her some marijuana. No thanks. She just kept walking. So they went ahead and pulled up ahead of her and parked. Norris opened the sliding door to the van and was pretending to get something out of the back. While she walked by, Norris grabbed her, threw her in the van, and Biddaker cranked the stereo to full volume to muffle the screams while Norris gagged her, bound her feet, and her legs. This became their modus operandum of acquiring victims. So Biddaker drove the van up to San Gabriel Mountains to their secret hideout. Once they were alone, Norris told Bideker that he wanted some time alone with Cindy. Bideker agreed and went on a walk around the mountain while Norris raped her. During the night, the two took turns raping and torturing her. Cindy asked if they were going to kill her, and Norris replied, no. She then begged, if you're going to kill me, please just let me pray. They declined her request. Bideker later recalled that Cindy... Displayed a magnificent state of self control and composed acceptance of the conditions of which she had no control. She shed no tears, offered no resistance, and expressed no great concern for her safety. I guess she knew what was coming.
1: Now, like, literally, as a Christian, she's just pointing out what a failure I am because I feel like she just was like, God, I know it's coming. Make it quick. Yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> that, I don't know. That was, that was hard. Yeah. Heartbreaking. It, it's not over. When it came time to kill her, the two apparently argued over who was going to do it. Because remember, at this point, neither one of them have killed someone. So, um, Norris lost and was chosen to finish the task. So apparently he tried to strangle her, but um, after 45 seconds, um, he became physically disturbed by the look in her eye and the way that her eyes were, um, you know, kind of popping out of her her head from the, the pressure. He released his grip and ran out of the van and threw up. Nice. Yeah. But Bitteker took over. He tried to strangle her as well but apparently strangling someone's not as easy as they thought. So, with Cindy slumped on the ground and convulsing, he grabbed a coat hanger from the van, put it around her neck, and with a pair of pliers began twisting the end. Twisting and twisting until she eventually died. Bitteker found a steep cliff, Lord. wrapped steep body, wrapped her body in a shower curtain and threw her off. Bitteker told Norris the animals would eat the evidence. Because I mean, I guess this was the 70s, but, like, no. <laughs> Unless you're throwing it into a pit of rabid coyotes. Or, like, pigs. Yeah, or, like, pigs that you've not fed for a week. There's going to be stuff left. But anyway, just two weeks later. Um, Oh, wait. Um, So, Cindy's grandma is already calling the police, you know, but there's no body. There's no evidence of foul play. The police don't know what to do. Like, she just vanished off the face of the earth. Two weeks later, July 8th, 1979, Biddefer and Norris were cruising the Pacific Coast Highway looking for their next picture. They spotted 18-year-old Andrea Hall hitchhiking in Manhattan. So, like, and nowadays we hear this and we're like, no, 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 no hitchhiking, don't hitchhike, don't hitchhike. But our our, like, understanding of how absolutely dangerous that is. Comes from the things that happened in the
1: 70s. Oh, yeah. I like in the 60s and 70s, like, you just, everybody, like, I used to want to live in that time. Like, everybody's just so free and well carefree. You know, that's how I imagine the 60s and the 70s.
0: And there was a lot of that. There was a whole lot of that. And so that's why people like Biddicker and Norris took advantage of that. Right. Um, but anyway, they slowed down. They offered her a ride. Now, this is, like, she's almost got away. As they slowed down to offer her a ride, another car ahead of them did, and she got in with them. They didn't give up. They followed that car until she got out, and they offered her another ride. And it was like, hey, um, you know, come with us. We got beer and pot. So she gets in, and he's driving, but Norris is hiding in the back. So, once Andrea's in the van, Bitteker offers her a drink, and when she accepts, he told her to go get the cooler out of the back. So, Norris is laying in wait, and he grabs her, and again, Bitteker turns up the volume while Norris tries to subdue her. Andrea was a strong girl, and she put up a fight, but eventually, Norris overpowered her, gagged her and bound her wrists and ankles. All the while, that, that was Norris, Bitteker was driving to the location. Once they arrived, Bittaker raped her twice and Norris once. Norris thought he saw a headlight, so they decided that they would drive further to the mountains and continue. Andrea screamed. She pled for her life, but, like the sadists they are, it only excited them. It only empowered them to continue with their torture. Bittaker forced her to walk alongside the van naked, uphill, and then made her perform oral sex and pose for pol- Polaroid. Norris drove back to town to get alcohol, and when he returned, Bittaker had already killed him. He told her to give him as many reasons as she could to live, and then shoved an ice pick into each of her ears.
1: Oh my, oh my word, oh my gosh.
0: Yeah, but apparently that wasn't enough to kill her, so he had to strangle her too, and threw her over <sighs> a cliff. I know. I know.
1: Now, this is what I'm sensing could be totally wrong, but one of these guys is because they're stupid is going to get mad at the other.
0: Yeah, something like that. Yeah, but Andrea's sister and brother-in-law reported her missing. But again, nothing to go on. No body, no foul play, nothing. So once again, they don't have anything to do. They don't know what to do. So the killers took a two-month break and on September 3rd spotted 15-year-old Jackie Gilliam and 13-year-old Leah Lamp sitting on a bus bench near Hermosa Beach. The girls have been hitchhiking and Bideker and Norris offered them a ride to the beach and the girls accepted. But it wasn't long before Leah realized that Biddicker was driving away from the beach, not toward it. Uh, but Bideker gave the excuse that they were looking for a place where they could park and smoke some pot. But Leah didn't buy their story and started reaching for the sliding door and tried to jump out. Norris had a bag full of BBs and quickly hit her over the head with it and threw her back in the van. When a bystander at the torn tennis court noticed the altercation, Bitteker told the man she's just having a bad LSD trip, and they drove off. Bitteker drove back to their private location, and the two started the chaos. Neither of them was interested in Leah because they thought she was overweight, and instead they focused on Jackie. Bitteker took out his cassette recorder because he wanted to record his first rape of a virgin. He commanded Jackie to pretend like she was enjoying it. Norris went one step further when he raped her and told her to pretend
1: like he was her
0: cousin. I don't
1: know. Hold on, sorry pretend like he was her husband or her cousin cousin c-o-u-s-i-n cousin what I laugh I'm not um you know I'm not a dark person I laugh I think when I'm uncomfortable I've noticed I laugh when I'm nervous what like what even yeah Um,
0: But Bitteker and Norris took turns standing watch while the others slept next to the girls. In the morning, they took Leah up the hill and made her strip naked. They took photos of her in sexual positions. They tied her up and left her. Then Bitteker again turned his focus to Jackie and shoved an ice pick in her head and strangled her just like he did in Leah. Leah tried to escape again, but before she could, Bitteker struck her in the head with a short-handled sledgehammer, knocking her out. He then strangled her, but to make sure she was dead, Norris beat her in the head. Both girls were reported missing by their families, but like the girls before them, the police had no bodies and nothing to go on. Both girls were reported missing by their families, but like all the other girls, there was nothing to go on. So another two months passed and the two were out on Halloween when Bedaker saw a girl he knew. Sixteen year old Lynette Ledford, Ledford was standing outside of the gas station. Was um she had left a Halloween party in Sunland Tujunga near Los Angeles. She had a fight with some boys at a party and she was just heading home. Bitteker offered her a ride. Bitteker was a regular at the McDonald's where she worked, so she accepted the ride. She's like, I know this dude. You know, I'll be safe. Bitteker was impatient, and rather than drive to their fire road location, he decided to do this one on the move. He drove down a deserted suburban street where Norris drew a knife. Then they bound and gagged her with tape. The two men switched places, and Norris drove aimlessly around the streets for over an hour. Bitteker, in the back of Lynette, carried out their most vicious rape yet Bitaker turned on the tape recorder to record everything while he beat her raped her forced her to perform oral sex on him he forced her to say that she liked it through the cries and the screams he then ripped apart her clitoris rectum labia and nipples with a pair of pliers from the toolbox
1: oh my gosh oh my gosh you really know how to pick them, sister I know I know as, as someone who had like only second degree tearing during childbirth you know oh my gosh and he recorded this one he recorded it
0: and you can actually, li- I do believe you can listen to the recording
1: somewhere online, but I just, I really didn't feel like throwing up today. So. I can't, I could can listen. Like, listening to the story is enough. I don't think I could listen.
0: Yeah. Um, by the time it was Norris's turn to rape her, there was nothing left but bleeding orifices. Um, He forced her, even though all of this had happened to her. Norris forced her to perform oral sex while he beat her elbow over and over with a sledgehammer. He encouraged her to scream louder. He beat her 25 times on the elbow, and each blow can be heard on the recording along with her blood curdling screams. The tape recorder is turned off, and Norris strangles her to death with a coat hanger twisting it until it was only slightly larger than a silver dollar. So this is a quote from Ray Norris um, describing the recordings of that night. We've all heard women scream in horror films. Still, we know that no one is really screaming. Why? Simply because an actress cannot produce some sounds that convince us that something vile and heinous is happening. Have you ever heard that tape? There is just no possible way that you'd not begin to cry and tremble. I doubt you could listen to more than a full 60 seconds of it. Believing they were above the law and immune to prosecution, Bittaker decides to dump this body publicly. He chose a random residential front yard to dump the body. He wanted to see the reaction of public authorities when the body was found. So, um, and I also read that they posed, like they spread open her legs um yeah as like a final like insult to injury um I really think that you know like they always say like they always like serial killers eventually you know like right now like nobody has anything to go on no one knows anything like these they want a little bit of
1: recognition like they want
0: exactly like no one is able to like put these together, like, kind of, like, I want you to see my work. Like, I want you to see what I'm doing, because right now, no one's seeing that this is, this is the same person. Narcissist. Anyway, um, a jogger found the body the next morning with the coat hanger still around her neck. The press, police, Los Angeles residents, they were all terrified. Because remember what I said, like, literally, um there's like a, a whole bunch of serial killers going through los angeles right now and so people are just it's just terrifying the murder hunt began but it would be three weeks before they could get another clue. the next month roy norris visited an old friend from the california men's colony, joe jackson norris has spoken to jackson in the past about his fantasy of raping young girls and Norris felt comfortable talking to him about his exploits with Bitteker since their release. He included all the graphic details of their most recent victim, Lynette Lecker. At this time, Lynette was still the only body that had been found. Jason might have been an ex-convict, but he was also the father of two young girls. The gruesome details of Norris and Bitteker's killings did not sit well with him. Jackson contacted his attorney, who in turn informed the police. The case was assigned to Detective Paul Bynum of the Hermosa Beach Police Department. The police brought Jackson in for questioning, and he told Bynum about the van. His description of the van matched a description given by a girl that had been raped two months prior. The victim of this rape, Robin Roback, now lived in Oregon, so they did have one that got away. The victim, um, Detective Bynum, revisited Robin and she immediately picked out Norris and Bittaker from a photo line. Roy Nor- Norris was put under surveillance and was easily caught when police officers could see him from the street weighing marijuana and putting in its baggage for sale. Because, wow. Anyway, they arrested him on a parole violation of possessing drugs and dealing marijuana. Police searched a car that Norris owned and found photos of young women. But Norris claimed that none of those women were harmed. The same day, while the police were still at Norris's home, Bitteker called and an officer answered the phone. Pretending to be one of Norris's friends, the officer tried to lure him in. But remember, Bitteker had that IQ of 138. He didn't fall for it. He immediately drove to a cemetery in the Hollywood Hills and buried the torture tapes. He then returned to the hotel room in Burbank, where he was living, but was immediately arrested. Bitaker was surprisingly cooperative when arrested and handed over several Polaroid photographs. Many of the photos were of Andrea Joy, Paul, and Jackie Gilliam. Both men initially claimed to be innocent, but when the police found the van, there was just way too much evidence to deny. They found over 500 photos of young women, two necklaces from the victims, a book on how to find police broadcasting frequencies, a sledgehammer, a jar of Vaseline, a plastic ball full of lead weights, and most damning of all, the tape from the final killing of Lynette Leppert. The tape was played for Lynette's mother, Shirley. And she oh kept- my gosh. I know. I was like,
1: no way. Did she just like do a freeze frame to show me her face or something? It was, like, It was a tape recording. It wasn't uh, a, it was a tape record. Okay. 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 Sorry. But still, I'm like, oh my gosh. No, oh, no. Like, like, no, that's, I
0: understand why I understand because they have to have, like, just like when you're identifying a body, you know, like someone has to identify it that legally can be stand of like, this is so-and-so to this person identifying who this is but it doesn't make it any better of the trauma that was added on top of her daughter being brutally tortured and murdered
1: oh i would i couldn't sleep like i could oh my gosh no
0: no i
1: i mm.
0: in biddecker's motel room investigators found seven bottles of acidic liquid. Okay, so apparently they were planning to step up their game. They had acid, which is one of my biggest fears of like someone throwing acid on me. Which is, I mean, the most random thing on the planet. But I've watched
1: enough I'm terrified shows of shows that like, and I live in, yeah, the country. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. I, I'm weird.
0: Detective Bynum and Deputy District Attorney Stephen Kay interrogated Roy Norris. When faced with mounting evidence, Norris decided to take a plea deal. He pled guilty for his roles in the killing and agreed to testify against Bitteker. In exchange, he was offered a reduced sentence, which meant no death penalty and no life without parole. But Bitteker, however, admitted to almost nothing. Bitteker was charged with five counts of first-degree murder, robbery, kidnapping, forcible rape, sexual perversion, criminal conspiracy, Norris was charged with the same, except one of the first degree murders was reduced to a second degree murder charge, which I I guess they had to do for the, like the, the sentencing. I don't know. Norris led investigators to the fire road in the San Gabriel Mountains. He showed them exactly where each killing took place. During the investigation, Norris spoke of the murders in a casual, uncoerced manner, like a mechanic would explain a problem with your car. No emotion at all. Upon searching the San Gabriel Mountains, police were able to discover, recover the bodies of Jackie and Leah, but the bodies of Cindy and Andrea were never found. Jackie's skull still had an ice pick lodged in it, and Leah's skull showed multiple indentations from the blow of a hammer. During the trial, the most damning evidence was the audio tape of the horrible torture that Lynette Ledford endured. Courtroom attendees were seen running from the courtroom in tears,
1: visibly shaken from the vile recording. Yeah, I was going to say, can you, can you, like, imagine being on a jury for that? Like, there's no way. I don't think there's no way. Which I have. I know, like, things work differently now because, like, I have a daughter. So, like, I know my stepdad, he was supposed to serve on a rape case of a teenager or something when he lived in Fredericksburg, but they looked at the fact that he had two teenage daughters at the time. And they were like, you can't be unbiased or whatever, which I mean, the guy went to jail or whatever anyway, but still yeah. like now I probably would never be called to serve on a jury that way because you know what? No guilty. No, you're straight guilty.
0: Yeah. And honestly, I'm not a criminal defense lawyer. I don't, but I feel like there was like, I know that. I know why they did it. I know why they played that video. But it's like, was it not slam dunk enough with all the other evidence?
1: Right. Because, like, those people, I mean, people that heard that would be literally, I feel like they'd be traumatized for life. Yeah. There was another
0: case that I did not too long ago that um, every single member of the jury, um, the court offered them therapy because of the case. can't remember which one it was that I did um but every single member of the jury took up that offer and went to therapy after that I'll have to look back and see what cases we did because it was one of them that it was it was bad um but I still feel like this was worse this was real bad anyway um They could barely speak, um, Deputy District Attorney Stephen Kaye could barely speak to reporters without breaking into tears just after playing the tape. Many of the details from the transcript of that tape have been left out of this story simply because of the disgusting nature of it. On well, March 18, 1980, Roy Norris pleaded guilty to all four counts of first-degree murder and second-degree murder, which was the Andrea Joy Hall, because he had left and came back and she had been killed two counts of rape and one count of robbery. May 7th was his sentencing and he was sentenced to 45 years to life with parole eligibility in 2010.
1: Now, um, the plea deal guy, right? Parole eligibility. Yes. Yeah. Um,
0: but how- good news is that I read he was eligible for parole in, in 2010 but was denied and he died before his next parole which was in 2019. He died before he could even um attend a parole hearing.
1: I don't know what the the law is. I mean, I'm sure it's different state by state, but I remember just what well last week when we did Scholar Niece, I'd asked Tyler about West Virginia codes because he said that like a second degree murder, I don't remember which one it is, but there's almost always going to be a possibility of parole. Yeah. If, I mean, he's like, you don't have to like concern yourself with that because. 98% of the time when it's some kind of heinous crime, it doesn't matter. They have to give them the possibility, but they're not gonna get out.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um February 17th, 1981, Lawrence Bitaker was found guilty on all five murder counts and was sentenced to death. Now, um there was like some legal changes in California, um, and um, he wasn't actually put to death by um, lethal injection. Um, he actually died
1: on death row so they're both dead thank god I mean Seriously. I, yeah I usually you know me I'm usually not one for ooh death penalty but yeah like I can't even yeah. gosh yeah Um, but
0: he he, I would respond to letters from the public and sign the, with the nickname flyers nice yeah yeah so that is a toolbox killer killers um it was actually originally named the toolbox killer because um they didn't realize that there was two the media when um i think when lynette was found but yeah like i said this is probably one of the worst ones that i researched and um i don't know it was that was a rough one yes it was gross. I, I didn't like it. I didn't either. It was... Yeah, it was... That was a rough one. And that I just... My my first initial thing when anything happens is to think, like, okay, well, what was their intention? Why did they, you know, why did they do this? Was it on purpose? You know, like, but, like, in this situation, it's, like, there's no
1: understanding.
0: No, I, I mean, subject. like,
1: I, I can't even... Like I mean, it doesn't matter what you went through either. There's no trauma so bad that would accept those actions. Like no,
0: and like I, I love scary movies. I love horror. Like it is my genre. But like, Saw and hostile. and like I don't even like the Texas Chainsaw Massacres because it's that that gore and that like
1: torture.
0: Like yeah. it's just I, I mean, I watch it. I liked
1: um, a couple of the Saw movies, you know, where there was actually a chance for them to escape and learn their lesson and blah, blah, blah. But like a plot like line. It's, uh, yes. For me, like, and I love horror as well, but like the hostile movies, it's torture porn. That's all it is. Yeah. And um, I, can't, I can't watch and I, it. I, and I can't do, I did, I, I did it once because they made a remake of it, but um, I spit on your grave. Yeah. have you ever watched it it's um about rape obviously can't do and my husband can't either like he can't he's like I can't watch this which he doesn't like scary movies anyway but anything with rape he's like I can't yeah I'm out this is making me super uncomfortable I have to Yeah. and he's a police officer so so I just and like that's fake like you know that that's fake yeah Uh, that they made dollars for making that movie Yeah.
0: yeah yeah I just I don't know, that, that level of cruelty, I just cannot grasp.
1: No, either, and um, I don't know, like, I don't know what would be worse for me as a mom, like, having to listen to that recording, I wouldn't have wanted them to die in jail. I wouldn't have wanted them to die by lethal injection, because I don't think that it, it's painless. Yeah. Like, as a mom, I would want them to, like, I don't even want to go into it, guys, because you'll think I'm crazy, and I'm medicated, and I'm not crazy, but oh my gosh. I can't. I can't. <sighs> imagine. And it's
0: just, it's just awful. Um. Okay, so that was the Toolbox Killers. Um, next week, Sydney is going to...
1: I haven't really decided yet. Um, I've been um some kid cases, but after this week, I don't know if I, my heart or head can handle anything that terrible. So, we'll yeah, see. I mean, they're all terrible, but we'll see. we got a couple I, floating around I in don't the know, air mom, right The
0: kid ones just hit you different. It just yeah it, they're all horrible like you said but as a mom you just see your own baby there and it 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 just messes with you and it's it's hard to do that research and talk about it
1: hey uh, we, we may guys I've been really thinking about it since the Dahmer series is so um you know I thought about that because we're we're hearing so much about everybody watching yeah the Jeffrey Dahmer and but apparently I don't the, it was not common knowledge Apparently it was not common knowledge who Jeffrey Dahmer was and
0: what Why? he The amount Why? of people that are like blowing up yeah. about this and I'm like y'all y'all I, didn't know he ate people?
1: I don't like to use the term snowflake because I feel like I'm like somewhere in the middle of snowflake and retarded republican um but um like that's the term that comes to my mind when I just see that someone like was trying to bring a suit against katie perry that dark horse lyric and rap part how it says she's a beast i call her karma she'll eat your heart like jeffrey dahmer i'm like people are like oh we all sang this we didn't know what they're talking about i'm thinking like i was like in ninth or tenth grade and i still sure. knew who that was but it was yeah. a song yeah okay first off it's a song okay if we want to attack some rappers for things they say in their their lyrics there's a long list ahead of katie perry and girl is still upset about blurred lines like I'm still upset about that song yeah yeah blurred lines Mm -mm. they ain't no blurred lines. no nope 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 Nope. so yeah
0: no like that did shock me the amount of people who um did not realize that. like did you think it was like Michael Myers like a fake fake
1: serial killer like no legit you know um Nicole doesn't do podcasts but she literally just I just downloaded an episode of our podcast for her because she didn't realize how true crime would affect her I don't think and she watched the Jeffrey Dahmer series and she's like I can't watch anything with Evan Peters in it again and she just kept like going over stuff with me and I'm like I know (laughs) like girl I know I do this weekly like I know and she's like just like she's almost traumatized, but just traumatized enough to listen to a podcast about. Yeah. Yeah. Like, okay. like traumatized and addicted. Right. Yeah. I yeah. want to know. I don't take pleasure in people dying, but I like, I want to know the story. I want to know how these people's minds work. I, yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yup. Oh, my goodness. All right. I'm so tired. It's been a long freaking day. Um, I had a student call me a delicate lady, and that one cracked me up. Yeah. Suna goes, she's a delicate lady. And it was like, and someone was like, she ain't delicate. And I was like, I'm delicate like a bomb, uh, not
1: like a flower. That's what I was going to say. If you remember, your mom used to call me mom's fragile flower. Do you remember that? She'd be like, Sydney is mom's fragile flower. And I found this shirt one time and I had a whole discussion that said, my wife is fragile but not like a flower, like a bomb. Yeah. yeah.
0: Well, and then it pursued to have a five-minute discussion about how I was a landmine. And (laughs) like, if you touch any part of it, it explodes. You don't see it coming. Like, they they went with the bomb thing. And they like, but I'm still laughing about this. She's a, she's a, what, she already forgot it because I heard fragile. She's a fragile lady. Oh my God. A delicate lady. Delicate, that was the word. She's a delicate lady. I was like, oh my God, you're so adorable. Be quiet. <laughs> All right. I'm Katrina. This is Sydney. And this has been Murder Obsessed. Mm-hmm. Stay listening. Stay obsessed. But don't be obsessed like Bittaker and Norris and torture people. That's not okay.
1: Not okay. No. Be safe, people. Don't get into vans. Like, Yeah, don't hit like. In 2022, we don't get it. If you need a ride, call me. Don't hitchhike. Yes. I will literally cash at you some money to get an Uber. Do not hitchhike. Yeah.
0: Nope. Don't hitchhike. Bye. Later.